What is the ideal church? For years, church shoppers have gone on an expedition to try to find the ideal church, the perfect church for them, the church where they are going to grow the most. Maybe you aren't a church shopper. Maybe you've been a a member here for a long time. You've been a Christian for a long time, been a part of this community for a long time. But undoubtedly, you have asked yourself the same question in the context of our church. How could we make this church to be the ideal church? Just saying the word ideal reveals that there is some kind of standard by which we measure these things. That there's an ideal church here and all the not ideal churches are down here. So, so what is that standard? And, and if we're looking biblically for this, maybe we'd open up to Acts chapter 2, where we see just a beautiful picture of the early Christian church, where everyone shared everything with each other, and they gave to the poor, and they had everything in common, and they lived in harmony with one another, and they added to their number daily. What made that church so meaningful, so impactful, and so exciting that anyone who heard about it wanted to be a part of it? It was grace. And what I mean by that is this. The the people that belonged to that church understood God's grace. They understood that Jesus came to this earth for them, to live a perfect life for them, that that was theirs personally, that Jesus went to the cross to take their sins personally there and put them to death forever and give them victory by rising from the dead. They believed all of that was for them, and because of that, heaven was open to them, that they were changed from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That's the message that that early Christian church believed, and it changed them. It changed them from what they were before they knew that to what they know, what they are now that they do know that. And perhaps that would be the ideal church where you can really see grace working. Here's the problem. We have that that same grace. And yet, occasionally, we'll walk through these doors and sit down in the the pews and we'll we'll sit by some people that are, are unenthusiastic and bored and apathetic towards grace. We're not growing in droves. We haven't had to put additions on the back and on the sides to accommodate the large number of people that are busting in through our doors. We occasionally have disagreements with one another. And when we look even closer at ourselves, we realize that when when we come in the door and and I sit down in the pew, that, that occasionally I am apathetic, bored, and unenthusiastic towards grace and the message that we're hearing. So it leads to the question, what happened? If that's the same grace, then why am I not on fire for Jesus like those 
believers in Acts chapter 2? Why do I still struggle with the same sins and fears and doubts? And as a church, we might say, why, why might we be considered lukewarm instead of on fire? Has grace failed to affect the change in our lives that it did for the believers in Acts chapter 2? Is grace broken? And you might say, of course not. Of course grace isn't broken. How could it possibly be broken? But what lies beneath that question isn't so simple. And so the question remains, is grace broken? Is grace actually working in my life? The Laodiceans had probably similar questions when they received a letter from Jesus. This, this group of Christians in the city of Laodicea, um, which, which is in the middle of modern-day Turkey, a couple miles away from Colossae, received this letter from Jesus. You might recognize the name Colossae a little bit. It's um, the city to which Paul wrote his letter of Colossians that we still have in the Bible today. The Laodiceans are actually mentioned in that letter. They were supposed to, the Colossians were supposed to share that letter with the believers in Laodicea. So this church has been around for a, a little while here. And, and the second time that they're mentioned, they're only mentioned two times in the Bible. The second time they're mentioned is in our section for this morning, from Re- Revelation chapter 3. Now, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are, are the recorded words of Jesus by the Apostle John. He came, Jesus came to John in this vision and gave him seven letters to give to seven different churches, all scattered throughout what is now modern-day Turkey. And Laodicea was one of them. Laodicea gets talked about a lot, especially in America, because there are a lot of similarities to Ameri- from American churches to the Laodicean church. And Dare I say there's a lot of similarities from the Laodicean church to our church here. So as I read this first part of, of Revelation 3 for you, I want you to think about how you would react if this letter was written to this church here. To the angel of the church of Laod- in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Those are words from Jesus. Wow. Pretty harsh, huh? You might expect words like this, coming from a a former disgruntled Laodicean member. But these words came straight from the mouth of, of Jesus, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler over God's creation. 
And because they came from Jesus, there is no room for excuses here. When Jesus says that these believers are lukewarm and that he's about to spit them out of his mouth, he means it. And it's the truth. So how do you think the Laodicean people would have responded to something like this? They had to be shocked, right? A little surprised, to say the least. It would make sense if their church was wrought with sexual immorality, if, if everyone was getting drunk all the time, if there was lying and cheating and there was fights between people in the church. This rebuke would make sense, but it seems like the church of Laodicea was a fairly peaceful church. It, it didn't seem like they have any big scandals. We don't, we don't hear of any big scandals in their church. So, if they hadn't done anything blatantly wrong, and they were a church that that heard the word of God, then how in the world could they be lukewarm? What was Jesus seeing that they couldn't see? Ever since uh, my now wife, Christina, and I have been dating. I have always taken care of some of the, the minor maintenance things on her car. Just the, the simple things like changing the oil, ro- rotating the tires, changing the brakes. Things that I couldn't handle myself. And, and her car has always run really well. In fact, we still use that car today. It, it ran well except for one week last summer. This was before we got married, so we were living 45 minutes apart from each other, and I got a call from Christina one day, and she said, my car's making this this weird noise, and the steering wheel is shaking. And so in my limited experience with with cars, I, I listed off maybe like three or four things that I thought it could be. And just ended up saying, you know, it's probably not that big of a deal. Just Just keep driving it until I see you next time, and then I'll take a look at it then. <laughs> you're laughing, so you're, you're understanding this probably wasn't a smart thing to do. Well, it, that didn't last too long, because about the next day, I, I get a call on the phone again, and she says, man, it's, it's way worse than yesterday. This, this isn't going to work. We've got to do something about this. So we met up halfway between us, and, and I drove her car back to my house, and she took mine. It didn't take me too long to figure out what happened, what was wrong with this car. The lug nuts, for those of you who don't know cars very well, the lug nuts are the the little things that fasten the tires onto the car. Four of the five of them were almost completely off. The the wheel was, the the tire was that close from completely falling off the car. The steering wheel was shaken because that thing was holding on for dear life. We laugh now, but those were the lug nuts that I had fastened on there when I rotated the tires. Those were the lug nuts that I I failed to completely fasten all the way. So over the course of two or three weeks, they worked themselves loose, so loose that the tire almost fell off. In my phone call with her, and when I listed off those three or four things that I thought it might be, I never even considered that I was the problem. (laughs) 
I, w- I never considered that I was the one that, that made this mistake that's causing this to happen. A- and I didn't notice it until I actually saw the car. The Laodiceans were, were kind of similar. They were lukewarm, but they had no idea they were lukewarm. They were lukewarm, but they didn't know they were lukewarm until Jesus told them, until Jesus showed them their heart. And it's tough to hear. It's tough for me to hear that I was the reason that the car was broken. It was tough for the Laodiceans to hear what Jesus thought of them, that this is what they had done to themselves, that they were lukewarm. It was tough, but it was important for them to know. It was important for me to know, just, just even for the future. I will never fail to fasten those lug nuts on there again, because what could have happened? I mean, I say we laugh about that now, but the car could have gotten an accident. She could have been injured or, or worse. For the Laodiceans, they were lukewarm. And it wasn't something to be messed with. It was the difference between eternal life and an eternity in hell. Lukewarmness is not something to mess around with because lukewarmness makes you feel lukewarm towards serious things. And you take serious things very lightly. But but we don't don't like dealing with those things. We, We don't like looking in here That's why Jesus has to do it for us a lot of times. He has to look in our heart and tell us what's in our heart because we don't like examining our own heart. We don't like what's in here sometimes. And so what do we do? We we pass blame onto other things. Why am I lukewarm? Well, it's easy to to blame something else. Let's blame the church for this because they're not good enough. The music, if only the music were a little bit better, then I would be a different person. If only the pastor would be a little more interesting and the sermons weren't so long, maybe then I would truly grow. Maybe if people took a little bit more interest in my life and asked me a few more questions about myself, then I'd be more apt to get involved around church here. We use these things, don't we? We use music, the pastor, and a whole host of other things to explain why We are lukewarm, but we fail to look in here. We fail to see the real problem. And we might even go so far as to say, well, maybe none of those things are the issue. Maybe it's just that that grace is not working in my life like it used to. Maybe I've been a Christian for 30 years and it was working for five, but for the last 25, it hasn't worked in the same way. Maybe grace is broken. Maybe that's why I'm not different. Grace is is not broken. Grace is not the problem. I am the problem. You are the problem. As much as we don't want to believe that, we are the problem. That's what That's what Jesus is saying to the Laodicean church. He's saying, you care way too much about these earthly things. This is your problem, caring about these earthly things. You're so aware of your earthly needs, and actually you're so aware that you have no earthly need. 
that you are rich, and that you've been well provided for. And since you feel no earthly need, you also translate that to mean I have no spiritual need. Connecting two things that, that shouldn't be connected, that, that have no business being connected. So, so for example, here's an example of how they might do that, how they might mix those two things. If I am secure financially, and I have no worries financially, then that feeling of security makes me feel secure in my spiritual life. I'm secure. Or if I I feel safe and protected from enemy nations, that I feel safe and protected in my spiritual life too. Those two things have no correlation, right? If I'm drawing my, my safety, if I'm drawing my security from my earthly situation, that's empty. That's not going to fix anything. And what if that situation changes? Then maybe I won't feel secure or safe anymore. Safety and security should be drawn from, from Jesus himself. And if you're drawing it from anything else, you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked spiritually. In America, we do the same things. We are one of the most prosperous countries in the world. We have so much in comparison to other, other people. On top of just financial benefits, we also are one of the best medical, medically in the whole world. We are so blessed and we take that to mean that we are spiritually okay sometimes. Sometimes we, we mix those two things up and we think we're, we're not lukewarm because we're doing all right in life. But really, we are the ones who are broken. We are the ones who are to blame for our lukewarmness. No one else, not the musicians, not the pastor, not anyone else. Grace is not broken. I'm the one who's broken. I, I'm the one who focuses more on earthly things than, than spiritual things. I'm the one that's preventing me from growing in faith because I fail to realize that I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked spiritually. So what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying, to, he's trying to, to shake them, to wake them up, to say, you are these things, and it's important that you know you are these things spiritually. Because once you know these things, then, then grace will heal. Grace can heal. Listen to Jesus' words of healing for the Laodiceans. He says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Grace isn't the thing that's broken. I'm the one that's broken. And when I realize that I am broken... Grace heals. That's what grace does. It heals broken people. 
I just have to realize that I am, right? Jesus says, buy from me gold refined in the fire, true riches. Buy from me the things that really matter. Salvation, what he did on the cross, that grace that the the Acts 2 church believed, that's the grace that makes you spiritually rich. That, That lets you put on white clothes, washed clean from sin, when heaven, where heaven is opened and you will wear one of these where the saints are still si- are singing in these today. Solve to put on your eyes so that you're no longer blind, but you can see clearly God's grace. Grace is what saves and grace is what continues to work in your life. It's not broken. It's still working in your life. Our salvation is really very simple, right? By grace, we are saved. Because Jesus loves us so much, we're saved. But living in this earth is really what makes everything so complicated. Imagine, imagine being Adam and Eve. I'm sure you've done this from, from time to time. Imagine living in a perfect world. Nothing ever goes wrong. You have a perfect relationship with God. He takes care of you and you never have any problems or pain or fears or doubts. But when the fall into sin happened, everything became infinitely more complicated for Adam and Eve and for every generation after them up to us. And especially, it was complicated for those who wanted to follow Christ, to to follow God and to live in his way. It was complicated because the fall into sin marked the beginning of a war. A war for your soul, a war for for my soul. That war that's being fought daily between your sinful nature that you were born with and that new life that was given to you at baptism, the moment you believed in Him. And and those two things are constantly pulling at each other. Can, Can you feel that? Can you feel that inside of you, that war that's raging? Because it's a war that you have lived with as long as you've been a Christian. And it's a war that you will live with until the day that you die and go to heaven. We, we learn about that in the Bible. You just heard me say that, but it doesn't bring you any kind of relief, does it? It actually sounds exhausting, fighting this war on a, on a day-to-day basis for every moment of your life until you, you die. It's exhausting, and it can be discouraging because as humans, we live lives of moments, moments of a very strong confidence and trust in our God, followed by moments of arrogance and sin against God. And we ride this roller coaster of feeling really close to God when we obey and feeling really far away from God when we disobey. And that battle makes us wonder, is grace actually working? If grace was working, why am I still having this battle? Why am I still falling into sin and having the same fears and doubts? Is grace broken? Jesus has some words for this in the end of our section for today. 
He shows us that he, he is fighting for us and he wants to sit down at the table and eat with us and give us grace and that he's there for us in our battle. Listen to these, these words here. He says, To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is is fighting for you, but not necessarily in the way that you might think. He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest. And repent. Parents and child care workers might know this the best, might understand this concept the best, because children are rarely, rarely obedient instantaneously. It maybe takes a little coaxing. It maybe takes a little, a little learning for them to become obedient. And sustained periods of obedience are, are difficult when working with children. But Parents and child care workers that are willing to work through a process, right? The process that, that is biblical, very biblical. Rebuking, disciplining, giving grace and forgiveness. And then rebuking and disciplining and then giving grace and forgiveness and walking through this cycle and process again and again and again. Eventually, you'll have a child that, that is maybe more likely to obey, that, that can sustain longer periods of obedience. Because we're not just changing the behavior, but we're changing the heart, right? Rebuking, grace, and forgiveness. That's grace working on hearts, and it's a process. God works with us in a similar fashion. Grace has saved you. You are saved by grace and you are growing in grace, but grace will not instantaneously fix all of your problems. It won't. You will still have that battle that rages inside of you. You still will struggle with the same sins, doubts, and fears. But here's what God wants you to remember that he walks with you through this process. He is always there to, to rebuke and discipline you and then to immediately offer you grace and forgiveness. He says, to those I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. He wants to call you back. He wants you to open the doors. So you can sit down, he can sit down and eat with you. He wants to give you grace as you walk through this process. Because in that battle that, that rages inside of you between your sinful nature and your new, your new life, grace will always be victorious. You may, you may lose a battle, but grace always wins the war. Grace wins the war when you understand that, that all of those battles that you lost are covered by grace and are healed by grace. 
That's when grace is victorious, and that's what makes you victorious because you believe that message. You believe in grace. He says, he says in the next part, can we go to the next slide? To the one who is victorious. Who, who is the one who is victorious? The one who believes in grace. That grace has healed all wounds, and that grace will always win the war for your soul. Jesus fights for you, and he gives you that grace to help you keep fighting that battle. So if grace heals all wounds, if grace is so victorious, then how about in my relationships with others? Can it fix my relationship with others? Yes, it can. Walk through that process like Jesus walks through that with us. When we walk with Christ in our life, he is constantly rebuking us and giving us grace. Walk with each other in the same way. Rebuke and discipline. Give grace and forgiveness because grace has the power to change from spiritually dead to alive, from lukewarm to on fire, from, lo- from losing to victory. Grace can do that. So, so maybe... Maybe it is silly to even pose the question, is grace broken? (laughs) Of course it isn't. Grace isn't broken. I'm broken. But that's okay. Because grace heals broken people. And grace will always be victorious. Amen.